When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Three, two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we go. Welcome in, everybody. Episode 271 of the podcast. It is Swimming America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Thursday, July 16th, 2020, people. I hope everybody is having a great middle of the week. I know I say it every single episode. Cannot believe we are now in the middle of July. It seems like just yesterday the NCAA tournament was getting canceled. And here we are, the middle of July, about six weeks from what we hope is the start of the college football season. But I'll tell you this. A lot to get to on today's show. So big show today, full show today. And the one thing I will say... I have tried to deliver for you each and every single episode during this quarantine, and I think I did it again, people. I think I did it again. We will open with Musa Cisse, five-star power forward, basically the last really good player in the class of 2020 who will go to college next year. Jonathan Kaminga will probably commit, but he will, or excuse me, he will probably go pro, so Musa Cisse's commitment, really the last big commitment on the college scene. He committed to Memphis on Wednesday. We talk about that. We talk about the impact, what it means, uh, and really actually why I like Memphis going into next season. I know I've been somewhat critical of Penny Hardaway. I think it's totally justified, to be completely honest, but I actually do like Memphis, assuming we get some semblance of a college basketball season next year. Then we will get into another kind of big college basketball story that really kind of popped up out of nowhere, and that was uh, via The Athletic. My buddy Sam Vecini, he's been on this podcast a few times as a guest, and he put out a, a story really about uh, the Kentucky Wildcats players, and Sam, for people who don't know, is an NBA draft expert, and he puts out all these reports with talking to coaches anonymously, talking to them about certain players, what they like, what they don't like about those players. For the record, I do it all the time. And on Wednesday, he put out an article about Kentucky's players that had some not very nice quotes about uh, some of the players on Kentucky's team. It was an interesting read, an enjoyable read, and an informative read, but obviously some Kentucky fans were frustrated with it. I will tell you why, um, you know, from the media perspective, I I actually thought it was a really compelling piece, and if you want good pieces like that, you have to be willing to deal with some of the pushback and some of the honesty from some of these coaches. So I'll give it to you from both perspectives, because I understand a frustrated fan saying, why are guys going after my players and not putting their name on it? 
but I also understand it from the media's perspective of myself being in the media. If you guys want good content like that, then, uh, you know, this is part of the deal. We will wrap on a little college football. I'll talk a little bit about some of the issues, questions that are popping up. I did a fun article for Kentucky Sports Radio about the eight most random questions going into the season, which includes all sorts of stuff, including what happens if we go to the spring, the star players leave, will other players shut it down? Notre Dame, if they play an ACC-only schedule, should they be considered the ACC champ? Should they play for an ACC championship game? So some fun questions on the college football beat before we get started. Yes, probably tell I drank a lot of coffee before I did this uh, recording. I'm fired up. But anyway, before we get started, please make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on iTunes, the Podcast Addict app, Podbean, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, wherever you listen to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, make sure that you're subscribed. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead and give us a quick five stars. It really does help. We got a new rating since I last recorded. Shout out to UK Grammy, who says, great podcast. Your podcast is always very entertaining, Aaron. Even in the craziness of 2020 and the lack of sports, you still give us a great show. Thanks for bringing it every episode. Thank you for bringing it, UK Grammy. That was like the nicest thing anyone's ever said about me. So thank you to UK Grammy. And please, if you can, make sure to rate and review the show on iTunes or whatever platform you use. It really does help. Finally, if you're not following on social media, make sure to find me on Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. If you have any questions for the show, you can find me on Facebook. I have a Facebook page, Aaron Torres writer. I got a YouTube page. Basically, if you're on the internet, if you have an internet connection, I'm basically everywhere. I, the only place I'm not is Pinterest, but maybe I'll sign up for Pinterest too. Who knows? We'll see where the, the, day t- the day takes me. I'm still in quarantine here in California. Can't go to the gym. Can't go to restaurants. So I might start a Pinterest page. Who knows? Anyway, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram, Facebook. I'm already out of control. I'm off the rails. We're two minutes in, but let's get into it, people. No more time to waste because I do actually want to talk some sports stuff. And frankly, I'll just be honest. I'm happy to actually break down real sports things And there was a really important sports thing as it pertains to college basketball that came on Wednesday afternoon. Musa Cisse, five-star center slash power forward slash big man. He was originally in the class of 2021. Like so many other players, he was able to reclassify. For people who don't remember, I talked about it earlier in the spring, but when the pandemic hit... The NCAA actually put in a one-time rule in which you did not have to take the SAT to qualify to play college sports next year, right? So under normal circumstances, you need a certain GPA, you need certain core classes, and you need a certain SAT or ACT score. But when the pandemic happened, uh, the NCAA kind of realized, like, look, some of these kids aren't going to be able to take the test. And so what ended up happening was they waived the rule that you have to take the SAT to get into college. It allowed a bunch of uh, 2021 prospects, especially in basketball, to then announce their reclassification. And so that is exactly what happened with Musa Cisse, was originally a part of the class of 2021. Then he moves up to 2020. And on Wednesday, he committed to your Memphis Tigers. So big get for Penny Hardaway, important get for Penny Hardaway, and we'll get to all that in a second. For people who don't know as much about Musa Cisse, I get it, high school player trying to figure out who he is and how he'll fit in at Memphis next year. I'll tell you this, 
Very big piece, very talented piece, very important piece for Memphis. So as I said, he's about six foot eleven. Was originally born in Africa. I believe the country was Guinea, if I'm not mistaken, in Africa. Came to the United States about 2016. And about uh, a year or so ago, announced that he was transferring to a high school in the city of Memphis. And even after he transferred to the city of Memphis, there were still rumors that he was going to go to other places. I had heard all along that LSU was the team to beat. But what ended up happening was is that there were a number of factors, but one of them was, of course, this quarantine, this pandemic. Uh, The kid didn't get to visit campuses the way that he would traditionally get to visit them. And of course, being in the city, you're playing with kids from the city, you know, some kids that are on Memphis's team. My understanding was he was playing with John Morant, who's obviously a part of the Memphis Grizzlies. And John Morant was pimping up Penny Hardaway and saying, this is the guy you got to go play for. And so really, In the last two, two and a half, three weeks, it really became pretty clear that this kid might actually flip and end up at Memphis. And so that is exactly what happened on Wednesday as he commits to Memphis. And as I said, he fits a real need for Memphis uh, as a big athletic shot blocker down low. And for people who haven't seen him play, that is probably his best skill, was probably the best high school the best shot blocker, excuse me, in high school basketball last year and ends up committing to Memphis. So a couple thoughts on that. We'll get to how what it means for Memphis, uh, the team, in a minute. But before that, I want to talk about Penny Hardaway because I will tell you this. I have been uh, critical of Penny Hardaway, but I think in a fair way, right? And, and, and it all starts kind of when he got to Memphis, when he got the job. Uh, he, he replaced Tubby Smith, who is an icon within this sport, but there was kind of no real energy, no real buzz, no real vibe within uh, the program and within the city. And so he gets there and he immediately just starts stirring the pot. And I have no problem with that. I actually like that. I think it's good for us to have characters within college basketball. I think too often now we get all these young guys that are all cookie cutter and they all look the same and they all talk the same and they never say anything interesting. And so to have a guy like Penny come in and immediately ruffle the feathers of the establishment, I'm actually okay with it. I actually like it. I actually think it's good for the sport. And so as you can imagine, about two, you know, about a year or so ago now, um, there was real buzz about Memphis in the college basketball world. And I think actually you can make the case, I, I don't even think it's really a debate, honestly, is that they were the most interesting team in college basketball at this point last year as we looked ahead to the 2019-2020 season. Now, of course, we all know what happened at that point, right? And, and they were the most interesting team because not only did they have Penny Hardaway, but they had the number one recruit in the country, James Wiseman, and the number one recruiting class in all of college basketball, first team besides Duke or Kentucky to win that honor in basically over a decade. And I actually remember Gary Parrish coming on this show and saying some interesting things about that recruiting class, how there had never been uh, a coach with zero coaching experience that got the number one class in the country in his first full recruiting class, things of that nature. So it was really uh, an interesting time to be a college basketball fan. But I also remember saying at this time last year, Penny, you better be careful because you are putting a big fat target on the backs of your team and players And it better work, because if it doesn't, all this bravado, all this excitement, it's coming right back at you, my friend. And so that's basically exactly what happened. And so in a lot of ways, um, Wednesday was important not just because Penny Hardaway got the player that is going to help his program, but because he really needed just like 
a piece of good news. And so I bring it back to last year. This time last year, so much buzz about Memphis, even going into no, you know, September, October, early November. And then basically once the season started, Memphis really didn't have like a single good piece of news for the last year, right? So you come into the season, I think they were top 10, top 15 nationally coming into the season. James Wiseman, so much expectations. And we all know what happens from there. Day the season's supposed to start, James Wiseman, he's ruled ineligible. Now, some of that is on Penny, which we've talked about time and time again, but James Wiseman is ruled ineligible. Penny Hardaway plays him anyway. It becomes this two, three-week ordeal, and then all of a sudden, they decide to pull him out. The NCAA gets involved. They suspend him for 13 games, and this number one recruit in the number one recruiting class decides to just leave school. And it was controversial at the time, and Penny was a little critical at the time, and some of the players said some things and did some things at the time, but the bottom line remains, that was kind of the first step in the wrong direction. Then, oh, by the way, DJ Jeffries, who was their third leading scorer at the time, gets hurt, and a team that was basically all freshmen and sophomores really struggles. Again, that's not a criticism of Penny Hardaway. That is the reality of coaching a very young team in college basketball is you are going to have bumps along the way. And so if you followed the season, and I know you did, and we talked about him on this show, Memphis ended up going 21-10 and 10 during the regular season. It was not what was expected when Penny Hardaway said before the season that he believed his team would win the national championship, and it really didn't go well. They had some really bad losses. They lost by 40 at Tulsa. Uh, they lost, uh, uh, I believe, their season finale at Houston, and really what it came down to was they entered their conference tournament essentially needing to win the conference tournament to actually make the NCAA tournament. And so, of course, we all know from there that the tournament got canceled, but it wasn't quite the season that I think anybody, including Penny Hardaway, expected from that team. But again, when you have a very young team, this is the reality of coaching in college basketball. So again, not a very good season for Penny Hardaway. And then, oh, by the way, let's get to the offseason. Jalen Green. Number two, number three player in America, depending on what recruiting ranking you look at. I think ESPN even has him number one. I'm more of a Cade Cunningham guy. That's fine. Jalen Green, you spend two years recruiting him. You're believed to be the leader all along in his recruitment this entire time. Jalen Green decides that he's going to go to the G League. And not only does he decide to go to the G League, my understanding is he actually decided to go to the G League at the last second. In other words, the negotiations were going on. They didn't know, is this really something we want to pursue? Is the money going to be right? Does it make sense? Should we just go to college for a year? My understanding is, I don't know if Penny Hardaway knows this, but my understanding is Jalen Green actually recorded a recruiting commitment video to Memphis that is somewhere uh, on somebody's phone or in a vault somewhere that will never get seen, but that really, right up until the very end, they thought he was going to Memphis. Instead, he decides to go pro, another gut punch to Penny Hardaway, and, uh, you know, just another real gut punch, and then that's obviously kind of, uh, you know, the, the, the icing on the cake of everything else is that your lead assistant... Mike Miller decides to leave the program to pursue other options. I believe I saw on Wednesday that he's actually going to coach high school basketball for the year. But I bring all this up. I, 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 I go through the whole timeline of the year to say, excuse me, that Penny Hardaway needed a win anywhere because he really hasn't gotten like a win uh, since, you know, really since 
the day James Wiseman was suspended. Like they've gotten literal wins, they've gotten small wins, they picked up a couple of nice transfers, but it really just did not work out the way anybody thought, and it just seemed to be trending for, in the wrong direction for Penny Hardaway. So I think this is big for the program, and I think it's big for another reason as well. And that reason is very simply this. <laughs> I actually think Memphis is going to be really good next year. And as I said a minute ago, I get that part of Penny Hardaway's problems were self-inflicted. And I should even backtrack and say that is, yes, I, 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 in a way I feel bad that things didn't go the way that they were supposed to last year. But obviously part of this is on Penny Hardaway. He did uh, you know, provide inaccessible be- or in, uh, inappropriate benefits for James Wiseman and his family. They knew all along James Wiseman was coming there. It shouldn't have taken until November for the NCAA to find out about it. And so that part of that is on him. The bravado is on him being, you know, cocky and arrogant. And that's on him. But again, I like that. That's fun. That's why I like covering sports. I like the personalities. I like the people involved. And I think it's great for college basketball if a prominent head coach that played in the NBA, that fans know, that fans care about, that fans have an opinion about, if that guy is outspoken. I think it's good for college basketball when we have those personalities, whether it is John Calipari, whether it is whoever. Roy Williams has a personality in his own weird, goofy way, but he's a personality. We know him. The more people in this sport that we know and we have an opinion on, the better it is. Now, as it pertains to this coming season, I'll tell you this, I actually really do like Memphis. Um, and I haven't put together my my top 25 now that the draft decisions are starting to come back. I will probably do a new top 25 on August 3rd when the NCA or when the NCA deadline to return to colleges. But I'll tell you this, I think I'm going to have Memphis in the top 25, probably the back end, 23, 24, 25. But I think they're going to be there because what you have to remember is, yes, Memphis did not live up to expectations. Yes, Penny Hardaway said before the season that he expected to win a national championship. No, that did not happen. But you lose James Wiseman in December, if not November, for the rest of the year. You lose Precious Achua, who I believe will be a top 20 pick. But everybody else comes back. Now, you're losing your two most talented players. But it's not as though the guys who are coming back are not talented. If memory serves me correct, they signed five top 100 prospects in last year's high school class, six of the top 120, three guys who started big minutes last year, really four once James Wiseman left. And they have a very talented roster. And So I'm not going to spend an hour breaking down the depth chart. But for people who don't remember, the guy who's going to be handling the ball, Damian Ball, big point guard, six foot five, athletic kid. Some people believe he is an NBA caliber prospect and point guard. He's got to be more consistent. But again, that's part of being a freshman in college basketball. It happens. Sometimes you don't play the way that you think you're going to play. That's part of the deal. That's part of the maturation process, the growing process. Shooting guard, you have Boogie Ellis. Never forget, Boogie Ellis was originally committed to Duke. He ended up not going to Duke when Trey Jones returned. But guess what? If you're good, committed to Duke, you're a pretty good basketball player. Did not have a good freshman year, but he's back. Lester Quinones, really good player on the wing, really good player. DJ Jeffries, who was hurt, really good player. And the one thing that they were missing was a big, di- big guy down low that could block shots and protect the rim, and that is exactly what they got on Wednesday with Musa Cisse committing to this program. And so I think when you plug him in, oh, by the way, they have two kids that are transfers that might get waivers, you start looking at that team That's a team that has a chance to be really good now. And never forget, for all the criticism 
This was still a team that went 21 and 10 last year. It's not as though they went 10 and 21 or 5 and 26 or whatever. They went 10 and 21. They were a pretty good team, all things considered. They just didn't live up to the hype that they created for themselves. And so because of it, I think with a year of maturity under their belt, I think with, frankly, a year of humility under their belt, I actually expect this team to be a really good team. And the one last thing that I would really say about this team is whatever criticism I had of Penny Hardaway, and I had it, I said it. Memphis fans think I don't like Penny Hardaway. It's not the truth. But I got to call a spade a spade. And when you're telling me you're going to win the national championship and you're on the bubble to make the NCAA tournament, I got to call you out. But the one thing I will say about Penny Hardaway, no matter what you think of the guy, two things. One, that team played real defense. They were one of the best defensive teams in college basketball last year. To be so young and play such good defense, you know they're well coached. And two, when things got tough in the middle of the year, they could have quit and they didn't. And I think that's an important part of this too, is whatever you think about Penny Hardaway, they actually play, they, they, they took the punches, they took the battle, they kept battling. And by the end of the season, they were actually playing again pretty well. They won four out of their last six. Their only two losses were on the road to two really good teams, including Houston, which was going to make the NCAA tournament. And so I really feel like they were actually starting to play well. Now, whether it would have been enough to get into the NCAA tournament or not is another question, but they were playing well. They were trending in the right direction at the end of the season, and I think this piece is, is, is an important piece for them. Would they have been okay without the guy? Yes, but they will be better because he is, a, he is at a position of need. He is a player with a skill set that nobody else had on the roster, and I really like the other pieces around them. So Again, assuming that we get a normal college basketball season, I'm actually really excited about this team. A lot of the guys they had last year are coming back, and I think they're going to be a year better. Lester Quinones, Boogie Ellis, I mentioned all them. You add Musa Cisse, this is a really interesting team. Last little thought, <laughs> pressure's back on Penny, man, because year one, he wins like 21, 22 games, but it was all Tubby Smith players. Basically had the same record as Tubby Smith did the year before. But then year two, we all know what happened. I just talked about it, 21 and 10. They did not live up to expectations. I don't think they were necessarily as bad as a lot of people think, but the pressure is officially on now because you got your players. It's year two, another good recruit headlining a good recruiting class overall if you include the transfers, and you probably have the second most talent in your conference behind Houston. So very interesting to see how this all plays out, but I will tell you this. The pressure is back on Penny because there is no reason that, again, assuming we get some semblance of a normal NCAA tournament that, or a normal season, really, that they shouldn't be right around a top 25 team and definitely an NCAA tournament team. All right, so let's get into the other, I guess you could call it, uh, I don't know if you would call it a big story, but an interesting story at the very least from the college basketball world uh, throughout the week, and that was... Uh, surrounding uh, an article from The Athletic about some of the Kentucky players as it pertains to the NBA draft. And it's kind of funny. Like I said, I don't know if this is like a, a big story, but it is an interesting story. And it's kind of one of those things that could only happen on the internet because right now on the internet, as you know, if you log off for 10 minutes and you come back, somebody's mad about something and somebody's arguing and somebody's this and somebody that guy needs to apologize and that guy needs to be fired. Uh, and this wasn't exactly that but it was kind of close enough. So let's get into it because it is at the very least interesting and I do think me being in the media, I will have kind of a unique perspective on it. And that is the story of uh, this. So let me, let, let, me, let me just explain, right? So Sam Vecini is a writer for The Athletic 
uh, covers the NBA draft. He does an incredible job. Sam is a good friend of mine. He's been on this show before, uh, and I see him everywhere. He's at all the AAU events, all the high school events, covers a lot of local games in, in LA where I live. He lives in LA as well. So we cross paths six, seven, eight times, maybe even more times per year. Great guy, works hard. He's a grinder. He loves hoop. I think he does a really good job covering the NBA draft. As part of covering the NBA draft, he does these articles where he reaches out to college coaches about college prospects as it pertains to their NBA drafts you know, process, right? And as part of the deal, he says, look, Coach X from, coach from School X, this is the deal. You tell me, I, I want to know about fill-in-the-blank player. You tell me exactly what you think, be 100% honest, and my only request is this. If you tell me the truth, I will not use your name. We'll go anonymous coaches. And it's something that he's done. It's something that I do all the time. I do the anonymous scouting reports for Kentucky on Kentucky Sports Radio. I'm actually working on a story or two right now. Uh, anonymous coaches giving scouting reports on Kentucky's transfers, Olivier Saar, Jacob Toppin, etc. Um, and it's just part of what we do. But what ended up happening was is that the coaches gave real honest, genuine feedback about the Kentucky players, and some of it wasn't very nice, right? So two quotes kind of stood out. I'm not going to spend a a ton of time breaking down every single quote, but one was a coach calling Ashton Hagen's trash, which probably not the nicest thing to say, and the second one was that Emmanuel Quickly wasn't an NBA player. Basically, he was good. He played well in the SEC, but he's probably going to end up overseas because he can't play in the NBA, which that feels kind of weird to me. I feel like if you average 20 a game in the SEC, you'll make it in the NBA. You'll find a role. Neither here nor there, though. The point being is that the the quotes were very harsh and sharp and mean and at times, like, aggressive. And understandably, Kentucky fans got mad. Understandably, by the way, John Calipari got mad putting out a quote uh, defending his players. Joel Justice, the assistant coach, went on Twitter, defended the players. And from Kentucky's perspective, like, I do get it, right? I do get the frustration uh, from Calipari, from Joel Justice, and from the fan base. Uh, On the one hand, Calipari is always going to defend his players. One, that's who he is. That's what he's about. La Familia, you attack mine. I'm going to come right back after you. That's why his players love him. That's why his players swear by him, whether they are players from Kentucky, Memphis, UMass. I mean, he's got guys that played for him 30 years ago at UMass that would have his back for him today if he called them. That's who John Calipari is. And the second reason that I think a lot of people got frustrated was because Kentucky won a lot of games last year. Kentucky went 26-5 and last year. And so that means, and if you're a Kentucky fan, I understand this perspective of that means that these coaches that are talking crap about your players, they got their butts beat by those same players. And so I do understand the frustration. I do think it's an interesting, broader conversation about anonymous quotes and all that stuff. And so I want to break it down. I want to give you an explanation from the media's perspective because I do understand the frustration from John Calipari, from Joel Justice, from a Kentucky fan, but I also think there's another side to this. And the other side is very simply this. If you want good content, sometimes it's got to be off the record. And sometimes you can't attach your name to it. And that is part of the media situation. That's part of a coach's... Like, like, like you just have to understand that there are a lot of circumstances where a coach will not put his name on a quote. And it's for a lot of different reasons, right? Imagine if... First of all, just imagine the scenario where the coach said, eh, I don't care, use my name. And then that coach called Ashton Hagen's trash. Oh my goodness, would that be a huge story. Oh my goodness, if fill-in-the-blank coach from fill-in-the-blank school just put his name 
on the record and just said, yeah, that, game, that kid ain't very good. He's trash. That would be a huge story, and it would be, frankly, a disrespectful story. It's not fair to Ashton Hagens. He can't defend himself, um, but it's part of the deal. You're just not going to get honesty out of people in the sports world if you put them on the record all the time. Now, there is obviously, for people to understand, on the record, off the record, anonymous, not anonymous, look, we all understand that coaches and players have media availability, right? We understand that after every game, in some sports after every practice, they go to the mic, they answer questions, you move on, articles are written, radio hosts talk about it, whatever. But what I would also say is part of our job in the media is to get the story behind the story that the coach won't say in public. And sometimes it has to do with the other team. Oh, that guy's trash. Oh, that guy's not very good. Oh, that guy's overrated. Sometimes it's on the own team. I don't like my guys. Um, I don't like, you know, we have terrible team chemistry right now. This guy doesn't like that guy. This guy doesn't practice hard. This guy's getting ready to transfer because he ain't paying attention to me. This guy's getting thrown out of the program because he got arrested and nobody knows about it yet. And that's part of our job in the media. And you know what it leads to, by the way? Really, really, really good content. Whatever you think about this article, uh, and the, the good thing is, and, and I give fans and media and everybody credit, nobody's criticizing Sam, and he shouldn't be criticized. He did a great job getting good information from coaches. But this is what happens when you get that good information, is that sometimes you get upset by it. And should we not print good information if it's going to upset somebody? I don't think so. Because I think it's accurate, and I think it's factual, and I think it's how coaches are really talking. And as I said a minute ago, I do anonymous scouting reports all the time where I call up a coach. If Kentucky's playing Texas Tech, I call up a coach or two that play Texas Tech and say, what are they good at? What are they not good at? This, that, the other thing. And sometimes the coach will say, like, look, that kid ain't very good. That kid doesn't know the role that he's supposed to be in. That kid is not the same player that he was a year ago. And that's really good information. And you guys as fans really like that. And that's the sacrifice that I have to make as a reporter. I can get you really good information, but I can't put that coach's name on it. I'll give you another example. Should we not, as media members, share bad information? Are we allowed to share good information, though? The example I'm going to use is this. As I just said, Kentucky, Olivier Saar, big-time transfer coming from Wake Forest. I actually talked to a coach anonymously on Wednesday, right as this story was breaking about Olivier Saar. You know what the coach said to me? He said, and I won't say the coach and I won't say what school, he said, Olivier Saar was the most skilled big guy that we faced all season long. He killed our guys. We would love to have him on the roster. Now think about it from his perspective. Think about it if I said, I will not write this story unless you go on the record. First of all, it might even be an NCAA violation. I don't know if you're allowed to talk about players at other schools that aren't signed. I don't really know. But think about it from his perspective. He told me Olivier Starr was the most skilled big man they faced all year. Maybe not the best big man, but the most skilled, the highest upside, maybe best long-term potential, okay? And he said that, he, that, that Olivier Starr abused his team. And so imagine if I said, well, coach, I can't use that unless you put your name on it. Who's going to say, I'm not putting my name on it. One, I don't want Kentucky to know how I feel about this kid in case I have to face Kentucky at some point this year. But two, I just trashed my own players. I just said that I don't even want that guy, uh, that I would take that guy over all the guys that I have on my team, that he killed my guys, that I was embarrassed for my guys. And so me as a reporter, because it's complimentary of Olivier Sar, should I not print that? Should I not share it because it's a quote-unquote anonymous quote? 
I'm just saying, that's part of the deal. That's part of how this works. You get good information, but sometimes you can't put somebody's name on it. And so I don't blame the Athletic for printing this article. I don't blame uh, the coaches for saying it because that's really what they're saying. And you know what? You know what probably is a little bit true as well? The coaches are kind of right. Now, I'm not saying you had to go call a kid trash that's 19, 20 years old. But, like, didn't we all kind of agree that Kentucky wasn't very good this year? Like, I remember having the conversation, I believe it was after the Texas A&M game, where Emmanuel quickly went bonkers for the millionth, millionth game in a row. I said, I think this is John Calipari's best coaching job. This is John Calipari's best coaching job because you look at the roster, and it's not very talented. And that's not a criticism of the roster. But there was no Carl Towns on this team. There was no Anthony Davis on this team. There was no John Wall on this team. There was no De'Aaron Fox, Bam Adebayo, uh, DeMarcus Cousins. There were none of those guys on this team. That's no disrespect. That's the reality. This is going to be the first time since Calipari got to Kentucky. I don't think they're going to have a top 10 pick. I don't think Tyrese Maxey's going top 10. not saying he's not a good player. I just don't think he's going top 10. We all agreed, though, that this was not one of Calipari's more talented teams. I made the argument this was one of his best coaching jobs because if you looked at the roster, pretty much every player got substantially better over the course of the year. Emmanuel quickly got better. Nick Richards got better. Keon Brooks got better. Johnny Juzang was playing well in the final few games. Um, You know, on and on and on and on and on. And so I only bring this up to say, like, we all kind of agreed that this wasn't a great Kentucky roster. And oh, by the way, that's actually a compliment to John Calipari. That's a compliment to John Calipari. That's a compliment to Joel Justice. That's a compliment to the entire coaching staff. And again, I don't criticize the coaching staff for defending their players. That's what you have to do. But this wasn't the most talented Kentucky team of all time. We all agree on that. And so to me, in a weird way, I actually think this is a compliment. I think it's a testament to the Kentucky coaching staff and the work that they did with this group of guys. And so I understand the fans' frustration, and I understand that, yeah, a lot of the coaches that were saying not nice things got their brains beat in by Ashton Hagens, Tyrese Maxey, Nick Richards for sure, Emmanuel Quickly, the SEC Player of the Year for sure. But I had no problem with this article, and I'll tell you this, fans, you want good, compelling, interesting content, this is how it's got to be done sometimes. As I said, I'm really excited. I got a, a couple stories coming out next week about some of the transfers coming in to Kentucky next year, Jacob Toppin, Olivier Saar, and I talked to coaches off the record. I had to co- talk to coaches off the record because they're not going to talk about these guys on the record, and that's part of the deal, and if you want good content, that is just the sacrifice that you have to make. Okay, people, I got one little quick thing, and I think it'll be fun, and then we'll get to Jerry Donardo from Big Ten Network, and that one little thing is this is that um, I wrote an article on Tuesday on Kentucky Sports Radio about the eight randomest questions in college football this year. And the, the, where it really came from was this. Is I, I've just been thinking a lot about what college football will look like, what it'll be, what it might not be going into this season. And it kind of stems from from last Monday's, you know, the, the podcast from Monday, where I talked a lot about the Big Ten decision to go to league-only games. Is it the worst thing? Is it the best thing? Whatever. And by the way, some of you did reach out to you said, oh, you said you're going to, like, I think, to, to, so before we get even get into this, I think we will get football in the fall at some point. And what I ultimately think is going to happen is that, the administrators, the coaches, the ADs, 
if they can't get a product on week one, they'll push it back two weeks. And if they can't get a product on week two, they'll push it back two weeks. And I think they're going to keep kicking the can down the road because I think everyone in college athletics understands what's at stake if we have no college football season. As I said in the last episode, Stanford's already cut 11 sports. UConn has already cut five sports. Florida State cut 25 full-time positions, and that is before college football season even began. And so if we already assume that we're essentially not going to have fans in the stands, certainly not at 100%, you need games because you need that TV money. And the TV needs the, the content because nobody's watching ESPN. Nobody's watching FS1. Nobody's watching Fox right now because there's no sports. And so I think everybody understands what's at stake. I think the players <laughs> understand what's at stake as well in terms of the fact that if there's no season, unless your name's Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields, you're going to have a hard time proving to NFL scouts that you are worthy of being selected where you believe you'll be selected. And so to kind of backtrack, I, I, kind of, I, I think we're going to get college football in the fall. I could even see him pushing it back to October 10th, October 15th, if need be. Hopefully things change. But October 10th, October 15th, maybe even playing through the new year, playing a regular season into January, then playing the college football playoff. But as I continue to think about college football, as I continue to think about what it could look like, what it could not look like, you know, all these random things started popping in my head. And so as part of it, I did what I think is a, a pretty fun article, and it's called The Eight Randomest Questions Surrounding the 2020 College Football Season. And uh, I wrote it the other day. And so I thought it'd be a fun segment. And so I want to go through the eight random questions that I had and just the random things that might pop up. By the way, this is not an article about, are we going to play football? Are we not going to play football? It's just the random stuff that could happen depending on what happens when we play college football, whether that's in the fall, the spring, hybrid, whether it's 10 games, whether it's league only, whether it's five games, whether it's two games. And so here are the eight random questions. I think they're really fun, and I think you guys will enjoy this. And you, of course, can read the article on Kentucky Sports Radio if you're so inclined. But here are the eight questions. The first question, are we headed for home and homes in college football? And what does that mean? It means that in every sport, the greatest thing about sports is that if you lose to somebody, you get them at your place, right? Duke loses to Carolina. Well, Carolina's still got to go back to Durham. Red Sox get swept by the Yankees. Well, guess what? You're coming back to Boston in two weeks. But college football doesn't have that. And to a degree, college football still isn't going to have that. But there are these schools called independents. And outside of Notre Dame, they're going to need to fill their schedules. So there are five independents in college football besides Notre Dame. UConn, first year independent because, of course, their basketball programs went to the Big East so they don't have a home for football. Army, Liberty, BYU, and UMass. Those are the five schools, and I know you are clamoring for some Liberty and BYU football talk on this show, so you're welcome. But all those schools are going to need games. BYU's first four games, three Pac-12 teams, one Big Ten team, their first four games are off the schedule. UConn had two Big Ten teams on the schedule, Indiana and Illinois. Done. Off the schedule. And so I'm starting to wonder... Are we going to start to get some home and homes, maybe some back and forth? You, we play at your place one week, you play at my place the next week? Because I think it might happen. Because I think all these schools are going to have to fill out their schedule. And you start to look at the situation, it's like UConn might not have a choice but to play at UMass and then return and play UMass at home the next week. Same with Liberty and whoever. Same with BYU and, and New Mexico State. I guess New Mexico State is an independent as well. So six, six independents. But I think it's going to be kind of cool. 
And I'm not saying that we're going to pay attention to a UConn-BYU series, but it'd be kind of cool if they played in Provo one week and in stores the next week, and I think it's absolutely on the table. So that's number one. Second random story, and this was one I tweeted out, and it got some good response. What happens if Notre Dame plays an ACC-only schedule? And it looks like, for people who don't know, the big thing with Notre Dame is what's going to happen in Notre Dame. Already had three games canceled. They were supposed to play Wisconsin at Lambeau Field. We were supposed to play USC and Stanford. And so the big question was when we, we said we might go to conference-only games, well, what's going to happen to Notre Dame? And it appears as though the ACC is going to help them out. So Notre Dame has six ACC schools on their schedule, including Clemson this year. And the ACC has basically said, look, we'll help you find teams to fill out any games that you need. And so what happens if we go to an ACC-only schedule and Notre Dame plays only ACC teams? And let's say they go 9-1. and Let's say they go 9-1, and they lose to Clemson, but they beat everybody else. Should Notre Dame be in the ACC championship game? Like, that's a random one, right? Like, you never thought about that, did you? But, like, if they're 9-1, and they play only ACC teams, should they be in the conference championship game? And, like, you can make the argument, no, they're not in the ACC. You can make the argument, yes, they have the second-best record behind Clemson. But then you could also make the argument, should they, should not be, is it advantage or disadvantage? Like, if Notre Dame's 9-1, and and we still have this situation with a four-team college football playoff, wouldn't Notre Dame want to play in the ACC championship game? Because wouldn't that allow them to play Clemson again and potentially get into the playoff? From the ACC's perspective, would they want Notre Dame to be in the playoff and potentially knock off Clemson? Oh, by the way, what if both teams are 9-1 and and it's a playoff elimination game? What if Clemson is 9-1 and and Notre Dame's 8-2 and and Clemson needs another good win to solidify their playoff spot? So I just find it interesting that Notre Dame could play an ACC-only schedule and if they do, should they be in the ACC championship game? I don't know. I was just thinking about it. It's crazy. 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 All right. Number three, and this is one that's actually been talked about. Are we going to expand the college football playoff this year? Now, I haven't seen anything that says we will, but if there was ever a year to try it, this feels like it, right? And that's the one thing I will say that I've enjoyed about sports in general during this COVID situation. And obviously, look, you guys all get it. There is no... Uh, great thing about a worldwide pandemic. I think we all understand that. But I bring it up because what it has allowed the sports world to do is just kind of do some stuff that we kind of wanted to do anyway and see how it works out and see if we like it and see if we don't. So like in baseball, universal DH, right? Like, just get the DH in both leagues. Well, we're going to do it this year. NFL, no preseason. Everybody hates the preseason. Players don't want to play. Coaches don't want to coach. Well, we're basically eliminating the preseason in the NFL this year. So could this be the year that we expand the college football playoff? And I think it should be considered, and I'll tell you why. If all five Power Five conferences go to league-only games, how are you going to really know who's the four best teams out of those conferences? Now, maybe it'll happen organically. Maybe the Big 12 champ will have three losses and everybody else will be undefeated or have one loss. But what if that doesn't happen? To take it a step further, what if everybody doesn't play the same amount of games? I mean, the Pac-12 has already pushed back the start of actual practice. I don't think they're getting on the field September 1. So what if the Pac-12 only plays seven games and the Big Ten plays 10? What if, oh, by the way, some of these conferences decide to play out of conference games? How do you compare an 11-1 SEC team that only played eight SEC games with a Big Ten team that only played 10 games, but all 10 were in conference? And so this feels like the year. If we were ever going to experiment with an 18-team playoff or a 12-team playoff, 
it's probably it because we're probably not going to have very much ways, very many ways to gauge who's good, who's bad, who's this, who's that. So just something I thought about on the same token. Number four, is this year we finally eliminate meaningless bowl games? And for the record, just to be clear, because again, I had a lot of coffee, so I'm all over the place. I like bowl games. I am Mr. There can be not, there can't be enough bowl games, right? And everybody says, oh, there's too many bowl games. Most of them are in the week between Christmas and New Year's. What are you really doing on December 29th at 11 p.m. other than watching the baked potato bowl between Boise and Purdue at 1.30 in the morning? You're not doing anything. You're at home. You're not at work. There's nothing else to do. So I have no problem with bowl games. But the reality with bowl games is that they're really only done for TV to have something to put on and for coaches to get extra practices. But most schools actually lose money on bowl games because if you don't sell all your tickets, the school's got to buy them back. They got to put a team up in the hotel for a week. And so most bowl games are money losers, okay? And so does it really make sense? If you're not in the college football playoff and you're not competing for a national championship, does it really make sense to send your 7-5 and five team to Birmingham to play some 6-6 six and six team, especially in a world where we're trying to limit travel, we're trying to limit exposure, we're trying to limit people staying in hotels overnight for multiple nights, and oh, by the way, your team wasn't very good, and oh, by the way, it's going to cost a lot of money, you're going to lose money on it. And so to me, I do think this could be a byproduct of the whole situation with COVID is that I think a lot of these bowl games will get eliminated at least for this year. And I think a lot of these schools are going to say, did we really need to go to that Meineke Birmingham Bowl in the first place? So I don't know. Another one. Okay, now we're getting interesting. That was four. This is five. If we do go to a spring season, and I do believe that's a last resort, by the way. If we do go to a spring season, will high school players be eligible in the spring? Like, for people who don't know, I talked about reclassification early with basketball, but in football, a lot of high school players, they'll play their senior season in high school, and then they'll enroll on campus in January to get a jump start on spring practice, and the idea is exactly what I just said. You get there, you lift with a strength and conditioning coach, you get to learn the playbook, you get to learn your teammates, and then by the time the summer rolls around, you have a level of comfort at the school when all the other freshmen are just coming to campus, you have a leg up, you've been there for six months. Well, if the season doesn't start until January, will those players be eligible to play? And then at the same time, will they want to play? Will coaches want them to play? Because keep in mind, if we don't have college football till the spring, it means that we might not get high school football in a lot of places too. And so if we don't get high school football, are we really going to ask an 18-year-old kid that hasn't played football in over a year to show up in campus and step in and play immediately? On the flip side, you could make the counter-argument. If you're a high school player and you're committed to Alabama, you're committed to Clemson, and you know, and you know, that they're not playing until January 1, do you pull out of your high school season if there is a high school season so that you can get ready to play in college as a true freshman? Just something to think about. Just something to think about. Just something to think about. And the same token, I finally saw other people talking about it today. And I've been saying this for two weeks. Everyone's talking about the star players that aren't going to play. Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, this and that. How about players pulling the Zion Williamson or what the media wanted Zion Williamson to do and shutting it down? And what I mean by that is this, okay? So if the season does go to the spring, 
we all know the Trevor Lawrence's, the Justin Fields aren't going to play. Pretty much everybody else, though, is going to have to play to either solidify their draft stock or potentially improve their draft stock, okay? And so then my question becomes, what happens if you're the star player, you're good in college, you don't have much of an of a NFL profile, and you blow up in early in the spring in a spring season, okay? So under the assumption we're playing in the spring, my name's Aaron Torres, I'm the star quarterback at UConn, okay? And everybody knows I'm good, but then I come out, first three, four games, I throw for 13 touchdowns, zero picks, and 2,000 yards, 500 yards a game. That's what I do. That's what AT does. Would I then, would it then make sense for me to shut it down? And for people not understanding why, the very simple answer is this. Most players are going to have to play in some regard to impress NFL draft people. But you also, if you play a full college season, you're then basically going to be done in April, May, whatever. And then you're immediately going to go to NFL training camp and you're going to be asked to play an NFL season starting in August. And so the reason we don't want to go to the spring is because we don't want to have players playing two seasons, whether it's two seasons in college or one season in college and one season in the NFL in the same calendar year. And so I do think that is a reality. I think we're going to have a lot of players shutting it down. You have two, three, four good games. You put on tape what you need to. The NFL knows about you and you shut it down. That happens if there is a spring season. A couple other ones. We'll get out of here soon because I do want to get to Jerry DiNardo. Will a spring season actually create more national title contenders? So think about this one, okay? So think about this one. We kind of understand that there's like an elite within the elite of college football, right? Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, even Oklahoma's made three straight playoffs. Georgia's right on the cusp. LSU will find out if they can maintain that level. But the point is, like, there's a tier above the tier in college football. But as I mentioned a minute ago, if we don't have a season in the fall, the best player is going to pull out. Trevor Lawrence ain't playing for Clemson. Alabama's going to have four or five guys at least declare for the NFL draft and just start training. And so what happens then? And does it create a situation where we have more title contenders? And what I mean by that is this. Like, Penn State has been knocking on the door of Ohio State for the last four or five years. Kind of same with Michigan, too. Georgia's been right on the cusp of beating Alabama. Well, you take the five best players off of Alabama and maybe Georgia only loses one or two, does that level the playing field? Does it level the playing field in the Big Ten for Michigan if Ohio State loses Justin Fields and three or four of their best defenders? It might. Does it mean we have more national championship contenders? By the way, Clemson. Trevor Lawrence isn't there. They're going to have to play a true freshman at quarterback. You think that's the same as having Trevor Lawrence? Because I don't, as good as the freshman quarterback is. And so that's something to think about. Do we have more national championship contenders? And finally, the last question, which is fascinating to me, and it speaks to something that I've been talking about for weeks now, that there's no leadership at the NCAA level, is what if some schools just press forward and say, we're playing a season, some conferences, maybe SEC, ACC, whatever, and other conferences can't get started. And so I bring it up because in Pac-12 country, Teams, like, like, like the, the, the start of practice got pushed back. Like, the, the players aren't allowed to, to, to do much right now. And so what if the Pac-12 just decides, you know what, it's not safe 
to play a season this year. Our teams are not playing college football. But then what happens if in the SEC, Greg Sankey says it's full speed ahead, we're playing. We feel like it's safe. We have no problem with it. What happens then? Because to me, that is the most interesting scenario. Because how can you tell a USC player that, uh, uh, say a senior at UCLA, how can you tell them that your senior year you didn't get to play and now you have to move on? You would think you'd give them a fifth year of eligibility, right? But then if you give the seniors in the Pac-12 who didn't play a game a fifth year of eligibility, don't you have to give the the players in the SEC a fifth year of eligibility? But should you give them the fifth year of eligibility? Because, let's never forget, those guys already played their senior season. And so it's going to create a lot of headaches. It's why the NCAA needs to get involved. Mark Emmert needs to get out of his ivory tower, stop twiddling his thumbs, and do something. Because that's the most fascinating thing. What happens if all of these schools can't play? So those are my eight random questions for college football. The first one, are we going to get home and homes? Is Notre Dame a part of the ACC? Will we expand the playoff? Will we eliminate bowl games? Will we allow high school players to play in a spring season? Will we create more national championship contenders? Will we shut? Will we have guys shutting it down like Zion, the media wanted them to? And then finally, what if some teams play a full season and other teams don't? All right, I think that's it. That was a fun show. I mean, considering it's July, considering we usually have nothing to talk about, I feel like we did pretty good right there. Was it my best show? I don't know, but it was pretty good. I had fun. I hope you guys had fun, and we are going to keep the positive vibes going because you know what? Positive vibes only. We're getting sports back. Sports will be back soon. I feel good. I feel confident saying that, and I feel confident saying that this was a great episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Should mention next week, by the way, Jerry DiNardo. Next episode, Jerry DiNardo from the Big Ten Network will join me. A really fun guy to talk to. This guy, for people who don't remember, he was at one time the head coach of LSU, at one point the head coach of Indiana, and just a really fun guy to talk ball with, and he is going to join me to really just lay the land of where we are in college football. I've obviously shared my opinions, but it will be good to get somebody else's opinion, and so Jerry DiNardo from the Big Ten Network will join me next episode, but for this episode, that is all for today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. And first of all, before I get to all the closing remarks. I want to say what I always do, and that is thank you guys so much for your support of this show. Uh, As I've said many times, May set a download record. June set a download record. And it is because of you guys that this show is rolling the way that it is. And all I will say in conclusion is if you enjoy this show, if you enjoy what the show's about, if you enjoy the positive energy and positive vibes I'm bringing, because guess what? We're getting sports back at some point, people. If you appreciate and enjoy the positive vibes, then I encourage you to tell friends, right? The best way for this show to grow, the best way for this show to get bigger, the best way for this show to be maybe even more than twice a week, maybe I'll go to three, four, five times a week. The best place for that to happen is for you guys to tell people that you know that you need to listen to Torres. Because Torres isn't always right. Sometimes he's colossally wrong, but he's always entertaining. He always brings positive energy, and he puts on a darn good show. And so that is the only thing I ask, is if you enjoy this show, please tell your friends, tell everybody that you love the Torres podcast and that they should be listening, and if they want some good sports commentary, that this is the place to do it. I should also mention, as I've said many times, if you did not listen to some of the shows throughout the spring because of the COVID situation, you, weren't, you, you were at home, you weren't in the car as much, you weren't at the gym 
that I do encourage you to go back and listen to the old episodes. So many great guests we had in the spring and summer. Uh, Obi Toppin, National Player of the Year. Emmanuel Quickly, SEC Player of the Year. Rick Barnes, Patrick Patterson, Eric Musselman, Nate Oates, the head coach at Alabama, Kevin Keats, the head coach at NC State. A lot of great interviews. And then, as I said on Monday, uh, first college football interview that I've done in a while, Jerry DiNardo, Big Ten Network. Uh, and I think you guys will enjoy it because he is a smart guy and he's somebody that I really enjoy talking ball with. And he will give you an update on where we are with college football. But that is all for today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. And I want to remind you before I go, if you're not subscribed, Please make sure to do so. iTunes, the Podcast Addict app. Podcast Addict is where I download this show, so make sure you're doing the same. Uh, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like. Let us know what you don't like about the show, how I can improve, how awesome I am. But give us a quick five stars. Ratings and reviews really do help us move up those iTunes charts. Also, if you're not following on social, uh, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram, Aaron Torres writer on Facebook, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. That is all for today's show. Shout out to my boy, Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. And I will be back later this week. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.